Amen. Open your Bible, please, to Acts chapter 2, Acts chapter 2. I still love this church. This is our second week in a row. For those of you that are visiting, you'll have to come back in July to hear the pastor of this church. He's away on vacation, and I get the privilege and the honor to preach in his pulpit and to pastor his people for this brief time. And I'm having a good time. I get to sleep in the same bed for more than five nights in a row. Hallelujah. We're in one place for several weeks, and this is a joy for us. And wow, what great music you have in your church. What great spirit you have in your church. Much that we read of the church in the book of Acts, we can see here at Canaan Baptist Church. And my day just got better as the service progressed. There are many people that were raised in church and don't attend in church today. And quite frankly, they don't like church. And if you speak to them, many of them will say they were forced to go when they were children or forced to go when they were teenagers. Some think church is no good because it's old-fashioned. It's not relevant for the 21st century. Some think church is no good because they do not like organized religion. I mean, when you have denominations and any type of organization on a national level, and certainly on an international level, it doesn't make any difference how spiritual it is. You're going to have politics. You're going to have money. You're going to have power. An absolute Power corrupts, absolutely. And so people don't want to be tied up with that type of a organization. Some think that church is no good because they think they can love God without going to church just as well. Now, folks, I'm not saying you can't love God and miss church, but you can't love God and forsake church. And not the God of this book. How many of you know people like that today? How many of you used to be like that yourself? You know what I'm talking about firsthanded. I can't speak for all churches. I can speak for the local, local New Testament church found in the Word of God. And from what I see, this church is a local New Testament church. You can expect church, you can expect the New Testament church, you can expect this church to feel like church. You won't think you're in a rock concert, you're not at a theater, you're not at a Broadway musical, you're not watching a TED Talk or a motivational seminar, you're not in a comedy club, you're not watching television church or virtual church, the New Testament church just feels different than anything else throughout your week. It feels like church. The music is not energized by electronics and a strong driving beat. But what will drive the music in this church is spirited people who are singing with passion 
and conviction. My word, that song Andrea just sang about lit my fire. I nearly had a Bapticostal fit, but I was afraid it would scare you away. Hallelujah. I'm sheltered in the arms. So let the storm clouds rage. I'm telling you, they don't worry me. This music is energized by spirited people. And since God is our audience, we do our very best for Him rather than trying to impress one another. We try to keep the buildings clean. We try to keep the services organized. We, we try to dress up the best that we can. Obviously, some of us dress better than others. I can't help that I look so good. I'm just doing the best I can, not for you, but for Him. Amen. Trying to show respect to God rather than impress people. We're not casual about our worship and praise to God. And it will show in, in our demeanor and even in our dress. And since God loves people, we do too. We accept every visitor just as they are. In fact, we believe every visitor is here by divine appointment. There's no accidents in the economy of God. We have visitors with us today. Do we have, I think we do. Do we have any visitors? Would you slip up your hand? I thought I saw a couple of you. This is, it's not accidental. They came because they're seeking to hear from God today, but God directed them here for a specific reason. It's not an accident. Man, last week we had Vaughn and his sister visit us, and I'm not going to put them on the spot because he'd probably beat me up after the service. He's bigger than I am, but he's in church today. And last week he got saved, and so he's my baby brother in the Lord, and I'm thankful that Vaughn's in church today, and, and last week he was a visitor, and I'm glad God had him here because he got saved last Sunday. You just never know what God is going to do in a service. God is working in their life just as much as he's working in my life. We preach God's word with, without apology, not with meanness of spirit or arrogancy as if we know something that nobody else knows. This church is not governed by the preacher's thoughts or a board of deacons. This church is governed and interested in what God has to say to us. Our desire is really not to make you laugh or to cry or, or even to feel good or accepted. Though none of those things are wrong in and of themselves. But our desire is that you know God and that your life is built around God. But we have learned that when people do good, they feel good. They kind of go together. Our services will end with an altar call, an invitation where we invite people to come and 
worship God and pray to Him and praise Him together. And you say, well, we already worshiped Him. You can't worship God enough. Uh, He's the King of Kings. At the end of the service, we're going to respond to what the Spirit of the Lord speaks to us collectively as a body, as a church, but also to me individually, His Son. Or maybe to those that don't know Christ as Savior, like He did Devon and his sister last week, to draw them to the saving knowledge of Jesus Christ. Some will get saved. Some will inquire how to how to become a member of this church. Some will get things right with God. Some will just come to praise Him and surrender their will afresh and anew for the week ahead of us. Our church doesn't strive to be trendy. I like the brochure that you hand out. Malls are trendy. Fashions are trendy. Hairstyles. I'm not interested in them. Hairstyles are trendy. But the church is far too important to be worried about trendy. The church is not really interested in being traditional or even old-fashioned as in 50 or 100 years ago. Our church desires to be like the church in the Word of God. Timeless, as your brochure says. Otherwise, The same church that met with Jesus 2,000 years ago, we want to see today. We want to experience the presence of Jesus Christ. And the person that doesn't like church doesn't like it for probably one of two reasons. Number one, he doesn't really love Jesus. Just because we say we love God doesn't mean that we do. Love is an action, not a phrase, not a feeling. It's action. Or he's never belonged to a New Testament church. He's never seen what God's church really looks like. And last week I shared with you a couple of reasons why I love this church, why I love the New Testament church. And after being here a week, I haven't changed my mind. I still love this church. In fact, I intend to come back next week. I might even hang around till tonight. And I'm going to preach the paint off the wall tonight. So if you're looking for a little sermonette before you smoke your cigarette, that's not the message you're getting tonight. We're going to see fire from heaven tonight. We're going to talk about personal revival. Hallelujah. Revival isn't dependent on your family or on your church or a nation. You can have revival yourself all by yourself. Well, not all by yourself. You and God can have revival together. And that's what we're going to look at tonight. But this morning, I want to look at some scripture and teach you why I still love this church. Two more reasons why we ought to love the local New Testament church. If you're able, would you please stand with me? We're going to read from Acts chapter 2. I'll commence reading in verse number 41. Then they that gladly received his word were baptized. Could I pause here for a moment? This is worth 
pointing out to you, do you realize everyone that got saved in the scriptures got baptized? An unbaptized believer is an oxymoron. It's a contradiction of terms. When a man gets saved, he has a new nature and has a desire to obey God. And the first thing we're told to do once we get saved is to be baptized. When you get baptized without saying a word, even the shy, even the, the, those that are afraid to be in public in front of people, when you get baptized, you're saying something. You're saying to God, I'm glad you saved me. You're saying to this audience, I'm a follower of Jesus Christ. I may not know a lot about the Bible, but I want you to know, without shame, without apology, I'm a follower of Jesus Christ. It's also saying to the church specifically, I want to be a member of this body. I want to be a part of this church. I want to function. I want to grow with this church. When you get baptized, it's a huge statement when you get baptized. Now, that's not in the sermon. The same day, this is awesome. There were added unto them 3,000 souls. I don't think they were watching the clock that day. And they continued steadfastly in the apostles' doctrine and fellowship and in breaking of bread and in prayers. And fear came upon every soul and many wonders and signs were done by the apostles. And all that believed were together and had all things common and sold their possessions and goods and parted them to all men as every man had need. And they continuing daily with one accord in the temple and breaking bread from house to house did eat their meat with gladness and singleness of heart praising God and having favor with all the people. And the Lord added to the church Daily, such as should be saved. And I want to focus on those last seven words. The Lord, or in that last sentence, the Lord added to the church. Can I remind every member in this church? You're here because you told this church you believed it to be God's will to join this church. Church membership is far too important for us to take lightly. You joined this church. This church did not join you. When you got saved, you joined God. God did not join you. Does that make sense? Because today in our culture, we think everything is about us. And that's why so many in our culture today is unhappy. Because there is not enough in this world that could ever make you happy. Think I'm kidding? Think I'm exaggerating? Read the book of Ecclesiastes. He said he had everything this world could offer. And it's vanity. Didn't say it wasn't important. It just doesn't satisfy. Only God can satisfy your soul. Jesus and Jesus alone is enough. Amen. And when God brings you to a church to join, that's a serious matter. That's part of the relationship that you have with God. You're part of this body. 
And though we have a good time, and though we laugh, and though we enjoy one another's company, we are serious about the work of God in this place. And today I want to teach, preach a little bit, give you a couple more reasons why I love the New Testament church. Father, I'm going to do the best I can to teach and preach your word. I'd like to think everyone here today is saved, but more than likely there's some here today that obviously have an interest in you, an interest in spiritual things, or they wouldn't be in church. But they don't have confidence of their eternal destiny. They don't know if they were to die tonight that they would go to heaven. So I pray even now, Holy Spirit, would you be so kind to speak to them, get their attention, speak to them personally. Help them to know that you care about them. Open their eyes to where they would see and understand the gospel. And trust Jesus Christ as their Lord and Savior today. And for this church, would you not revive us again? Fill each heart with thy love. May each soul be rekindled with fire from above. We love you and praise you in Jesus' name. Amen. You may be seated. You need a church family because it helps you. Are you listening? It helps you connect with other saints through fellowship. Now, I'm, I'm old, and I admit it. I don't deny it, I'm old. That doesn't mean I'm not cool, I'm still cool. You can't have a handlebar mustache and not be cool. But I am old, and my body does remind me on a daily basis that I'm not as young as I once was. And uh, I, thank you, Dr. Childs. Praise God for hearing aids. (laughs) This old body, I don't jump out of bed. I don't jump anywhere. When I wake up in the morning, I take inventory of my body parts to see which ones work. And I usually know which ones work because they hurt. And so I'm not up on all the new cliche, cool words of the younger generation. And quite frankly, I I try to learn. I've got children that think they're cool, but now they're in their 40s, and they don't realize that their children think they're out of it. But they still think that they're cool because they're comparing themselves to us, us old, old folks. The word connect has been used and overused and abused and misused. We want you to connect. And quite frankly, these younger churches don't even use the word connect anymore. That's an outdated word. But when we say you are to connect, the Bible speaks about fellowship. The Bible speaks of relationships. We become a part of one another's lives. It's not just me. It's all of us. God loves me individually, but let me remind you, he loves the world. So much so that he gave his only begotten son that whosoever, the entire world, not just just us white guys, not just black lives, not just Asians, not just people that can't figure out what they are. 
He loves the whole world. Does that make sense? We're all important to God. Our life matters to God. He doesn't want you to spend eternity in hell. That's why he paid the debt for your sin. You can't pay it yourself. And Jesus, who knew no sin, died in your place. He was buried. He resurrected from the grave to offer you eternal life. Now, God's not going to make you choose him. But if you receive him as Lord and Savior, he has expectations on your life. We don't belong to ourselves anymore. We belong to him. We've been bought with a price, Corinthians 6 says. We, we belong to God. And God wants us, when we get saved, to become part of a church because it helps us to connect with other believers. God wants you, first of all, to connect with him, to know him. But then the second part of the great commandment is to love one another, to get connected with God's kids. You've got to learn to love others. Fellowship is learning to love other people and love those, especially in God's family. That's all it is. And if that sounds too simple, try loving. Try loving the unlovable. He wants you to be a part of his family. He wants you to know him. He wants you to love his kids. God is love. God wants his love to permeate your life to where you can love others like God loves you. What a privilege. What a blessing to think that I could be filled with so much love to be able to love someone like God loves them. And the church helps you to connect with God's kids. And like any parent in this room, God loves his kids getting along with each other. I don't know of many parents that walk into their room, see two sons fighting or two girls. We had five girls and and ours were holier than yours because they had perfect parents. But nevertheless, our children every now and then would get in fusses and fights, you know, how with each other. And never once did we walk in a room and say, wow, this is cool. Get her, get her, get her. Um, come on, man, don't take that from her. Give it back to her. Come on. No, as a parent, you're going, knock it off. You know better than that. She's as important to me as as she is. I love both of you. And it hurts me as a parent to see you fighting with each other. Well, where do you think we learned that? The love of God. He doesn't want to see his kids fighting with each other. And so you have many that, are, that live self-centered lives. They live for themselves. They, they live for their own comfort. They go through life never learning relational skills. They never learn to love other people. They never learn intimacy. They never learn genuine fellowship. They never learn how to get along with other people. I'm telling you, I said to one of the men yesterday, when God started the church, it was ingenious of him. Because if we can get along with each other, 
we're going to be able to relate to about anybody out in the world. That's why Christians ought to be the best employees, the best citizens. We've been trained, we've been taught, we've experienced it in the church of the living God. God wants us to love one another. God didn't leave you on this planet to live an isolated life, but to love others. I know it's hard to believe I... I like to be with people, but truth be known, I, I don't like people. I don't like being around people because people bug me. I don't want to say that I'm OCD because that would not be true. If I were OCD, I'd get it in alphabetical order, hallelujah. But people just don't live up to where I want them to be. And for me, it's easier to be by myself, especially since I know God better now in my life than I've ever known. It's easy just to retreat and just be with God. You say, well, that's not very nice of you as a pastor. I didn't say it was nice. I'm just telling you what I like. I like it better. I like going to the ocean. Can't hear anybody. You just hear the surf just love it. I like nature. There's nobody out there. It's just wonderful. But God didn't create me to enjoy him alone. I'm to share God with others. And if I'm going to be an effective pastor, I've got to love you. People. That's not always easy in the flesh. God wants you to be a part of this church to learn to love one another. 1 Timothy 3, most of you can quote the verse, Thou oughtest to behave thyself in the house of God. That's a sermon in and of itself, hallelujah. Which is the church of the living God, the pillar and ground of the truth. What does he mean by the pillar and ground of the church. The church, or truth, church is the support, the pillar, and the foundation, the ground of truth. And we all know the importance of a good foundation. Some of you that used to live in Alaska or California or Japan, different areas of the world that go through earthquakes. We, since I've been a kid, my dad used to say, California is going to fall off into the ocean someday. They're still saying that. Some of us are actually praying for that something to happen. <laughs> but if you live in an area where they have frequent earthquakes, they understand it better than many of us. You've seen it on the news. I remember seeing several times, especially the earthquakes in Japan where it rocked the, the offices and just... That would be a scary time of, of our life. And your life is going to go through an earthquake. There's going to be times that your, your foundation is going to rock. And you're going to need something in your life that holds up the truth. You know what I'm talking about. You're going to have some relational and emotional and moral earthquakes and they're going to rock your life, rock your home. 
And if you don't have the support and foundation of the truth, you're going to crack up. What is that support? What is that foundation? The word says it's the church. You can know the truth and still crumble. Help me out, some of you. You know what I'm talking about. You need support and a foundation for that truth. You know, you need relationship with God's people. How many know what I'm talking about? You're going through a difficult time. And your world is rocked. And you know the truth. It's not that you need counsel. It's not that you need a word. It's not that you need someone to tell you what to do. You just need someone there beside you. It's not a lack of knowledge. Come on, folks. You're no different than me. We're made of the same stuff. We have the same passions, the same desires. We strive to live godly in Christ Jesus. We hide God's word in our heart. We study his word to rightly divide it. We meditate on it so that we can have good success. We know the good book. We know how to conduct ourselves. But sometimes our world is rocked. It's not a lack of knowledge on what to do. It's the lack of desire and strength and ability to do what we know we should do. And the tragic thing is when some people get hurt, they actually drop out of church. And if there's ever a time that you don't want to drop out of church, it's during that time. Because the church is the ground and the pillar of truth. I don't have to come in on Sunday and say, this went wrong. I, I failed in this sin. I did this and that. Just being with God's people holds up the truth in my life. I'm going to hear what the preacher says. It's not that I know everything, but I know enough how to get through life. But when I get rocked, I need the pillar and the ground. I need the foundation to hold up that truth. I need the pillars to hold up that truth in my life. I'm saying it's imperative that we have friends and relationships in the church of the living God. Ecclesiastes says two are better than one because they have a good reward for their labor. For if they fall, the one will lift up his fellow. But woe to him that is alone when he falleth, for he hath not another to help him. We read earlier in Acts chapter 2, Then they continually, daily, with one accord, and in the temple, breaking bread from house to house, did eat their meat with gladness and singleness of heart, praising God and having favor with all the people. Listen, they didn't get together just on Sunday in the temple. No, they were with one another throughout the week. They met together even in their homes. We need fellowship to be healthy and happy all week long. Christianity isn't a Sunday only thing. That's why midweek service is nice, but i got to tell you, two services a week isn't even enough. We need fellowship 
even where we live. And not just to build up one another's self-esteem, we need fellowship in the Lord in our homes. We live in small groups. You need to be in small groups, even in the church, so you can build relationships. How often when I was pastor of the church, people would join our church, and then months later, they would leave our church, some. And I would go to them and say, we've missed you in church. Yeah, your church isn't friendly. Well, what do you mean it's not friendly? A few months ago, you joined our church and you told me to my face, it's the friendliest church you've ever been to. Yeah, well, and you joined the church that are not friendly to you anymore. So it's like they're friendly to you until you join. And I said, well, could I be kind to you? If you're looking for a church that revolves around you, you're not going to find any church because a New Testament church revolves around God. And all of us sacrifice what we want for ourselves for His glory. You want me to help you out, which usually they don't. Get involved in a ministry. The people that are the happiest in the church, the people that are the most faithful, The people that love God the most and have Christianity 24-7 are people that are involved in some type of ministry. That goes from serving in the nursery to teaching a Sunday school class to cutting grass to singing in the choir. You get involved in some small group and particularly a group that is serving God together, you'll develop some of the best relationships and friendships you'll ever have. And that will tie you in. And that will serve as the ground and pillar of truth for you. That's why we have Sunday school. That's why we have Bible studies and and, and teen groups and kids ministries and prayer breakfasts and, and different ministries. It's to help us to be involved in the church in small groups. Really doesn't make a difference if your church is 300 or 3,000. Every one of us ought to be part of a small group within the church. Does that make sense? It will help you. But you know, some people don't want to. They fear that. And the reason they fear it is we don't want others to know we're human. We live that Facebook Christianity. We want them to know about us only the good stuff, the stuff we're willing to post for you to see. And some of us would rather not get too close to people for fear that they will think less of us. Can I remind you, we need authenticity, not perfectionists. We would rather be real about our weaknesses rather than be fake about our strengths. We want real friendships. And if you get a godly friend, that's a treasure. A friend, a person can hear you, but a friend listens to the meaning. A person can look, but a friend sees the heart. A person can know But a true friend understands your desire. 
Even Henry Ford got it right. He said, my best friends bring out the best in me. That's what 1 Corinthians 13 says. Charity is kind. You study that word kind out. You know what it is? It brings out the best in others. Proverbs 17 says, A friend loveth at all times, and a brother is born for adversity. One man said, Never waste your time trying to explain yourself to people who are given to misunderstanding you. When you're in a church, you'll migrate to people that will bring out the best in you. That will motivate you, encourage you to continue to grow in grace. How many people, you know what I'm talking about. You go through a tragedy in your life and you start distancing yourself from people. You're ashamed, you're embarrassed, you're saddened. And quite frankly, I've learned in my life, sometimes I've shared my inner, my inner heart with people and I got a lecture and I, quite frankly, I didn't need more knowledge. Good night, I'm a preacher, I should know something. But there are times you just need affirmation and affection. That's called the foundation, the pillars of truth. A brother or sister in Christ that is a true godly friend that will come alongside of you and affirm your faith in Christ which will hold up the truth that you do love. I'm saying the church is good for us because it helps us to love one another. Let me give you one more thought and then we'll go home and have lunch. We need a church family like this church because it helps you cultivate a spiritual maturity through discipleship. Now the word discipleship is thrown around quite a bit in modern Christianity in America. It's just a normal word throughout the history of Christianity. But today it's been marketed and almost industrialized to a fault. Discipleship is just the Bible word for growing up, maturing in Christ. God commands you to grow in grace. It's, it's precious. We had five baby girls and Trust me, I, I loved those little girls, and still to this day, they're precious. But we didn't want them to remain babies. I wasn't, I wasn't real good at changing diapers. That was, to me, Lori's job. And back in our day, I didn't even know, I didn't even know they had disposable diapers when we had kids. I just knew what we did, and Lori didn't believe in disposable diapers because she's very economical, thrifty. She won't spend any money. She's cheap, not cheap, uh, she's frugal. For her, she was brought up, you just take those cloth diapers. 
in cloth diapers that the kids did their business in, and she'd put her hands in the toilet. I don't even like to touch the toilet. And she'd put that in there and then wring that stuff out. And just the thought of it kills my desire for lunch today. <laughs> for me to change a diaper just means get another roll of duct tape and <laughs> tighten up the legs and the waistband and see how, stretch it out, baby, go ahead. Let's see how much this can hold. Those little babies, they're precious, they're cute, and then they learn to crawl, and you think it's, and then they, they learn to walk, and you know, how your parents are like uh, uh, bullfighters in Mexico. I mean, you come to daddy, come to daddy, come to daddy, come to daddy, come, hola! <laughs> they fall and crack their head on the table, and no, it's okay, get up. Get, what do you mean it's okay? They just crushed their head on a coffee table. Get up, do it again. Could you imagine if I, my oldest, and she's now in her mid-40s, and I bring her to Canaan Baptist Church next year with me, and I'm carrying this girl, it's five foot eight, five foot nine, maybe five ten, she's a tall girl, I'm carrying her in, and I put her down on the front pew, whoa, you guys say, wow, pastor, uh, your uh, daughter got polio? Does she have MS? Does she have a medical problem that she can't walk on her own? Well, not really. It's just that when she was little, I was trying to get her to learn to walk, and, you know, ole, and she'd hit her head on the coffee table, and finally one day she just said, that's it, I quit. I'm not getting up anymore. I'm not trying to walk. It's too painful. You make fun of me. You laugh at me every time I fall. I'm done walking. That's crazy stuff. And then I feel so bad, I start carrying her, and I'm carrying her to high school and carrying her in her booster seat all the way into class and sit her down. And, and now we got this 40-plus-year-old that can't walk because she just quit walking. You say, well, that would be abnormal, and we'd all be correct. But you'd be amazed at how many Christians are in the room that fell thought others were laughing at them when in reality they were just reliving their younger years and thought it was cute but you misinterpreted it and got your feelings hurt you tried again and you fell and you tried again and fell and finally you just said that's it I'm done you haven't grown up and you lack maturity Paul said when I was a child I spake as a child I understood as a child. I thought as a child. But when I became a man, I put away childish things. We're told as newborn babes to desire the milk of the word that we can grow. Peter says, grow in grace and in the knowledge of our Lord and Savior Jesus Christ. Before that, he tells us to add to our faith. That's growth. God wants you to mature. He wants you to grow up. And during that process, there are some hard knocks. It's not just Bible knowledge. It's growth and grace and knowledge. Knowledge, yes, you've got to have knowledge, but grace is the exercise of knowledge. It's the power of God to do God's will. We're to do His work. 
And at this church, at Canaan Baptist Church, your growth is important. If you're a new Christian, we're going to roll with you. We're going to be there to help pick you up. We might laugh every now and then. We'll try not to laugh too hard. But when we do, it's just because we remember doing those same things and falling and tripping up. But we're going to be there to help you grow, but we don't want to carry you the rest of your life. If you're truly saved, there's got to be a desire in your heart that you want to grow up and be like Jesus Christ. And having done all, stand. Quit yourself like men. Behave yourself like a man. Every single one of us need to mature to grow up. That's why back home we have all kinds of ministries. And I've noticed that in this church too. We're we're looking for every avenue and every vehicle we can use properly to help people to grow in the knowledge of their Lord and Savior, Jesus Christ. Well, how do we know when we've matured? Just because you've been saved a long time doesn't mean you're mature. And please forgive me and don't misinterpret my words. But some of the biggest headaches in a church for a pastor is dealing with old people in their church because they quit growing spiritually. The greatest pool of resources should be with old people. Why? We've been saved for decades. We should know how to pray. We should know how to win souls to Christ. We should know how to minister one with another. We should know how to do the work of the ministry. We could be placed anywhere in the ministry of the church. We've been around long enough to learn how to do it all. A lot of times old people quit growing. And just like a young person that becomes self-centered, old people find themselves saying, I've done it long enough. It's about time some young bucks in this church do that. About time some of them ministered to me. I've been ministering to them my whole life. And when you turn the focus back on to you, you're heading down a dead end street. And out of respect, because of your age, we will treat you with respect. But quite frankly, some of our old people are a burden to the church. We need some Caleb's, 80 years old. I can't do physically what I did. Well, the good book says, he said, give me that mountain, which, by the way, was the strongest hold in the land with the strongest enemy. And Caleb wasn't looking for a little easy, easy battle. He'd give me the biggest one out there. Why? Because he was saying what the psalmist said in Psalm 71. God, don't forsake me when I get old. I need you now like you were with me when I was young for a good reason. I want to show. Did you notice that in verse number 18, Psalm 1? The sermon gets boring. Always go to another text, Psalm 71, 18. Just, I don't want to tell the young people about your glory and your power. I want to show them your glory and your power. That's what Caleb was saying 
Give me that mountain. I'm just as strong as I was back then. Now, folks, he, he didn't have a total gym in his tent for 40 years working out to keep in condition. It wasn't his physical strength. He knew the battle belonged to the Lord and his faith was strong back then. In fact, he was one of two that believed that God was able. And he was letting God know and letting the children of Israel know, I haven't changed. I still believe God is able. And I'm going to show this younger generation his power. And they'll see from a feeble old man that faith is the victory. And I've got it. We need people to mature and to grow up. So how do we know it when we've matured? Well, it shows up in your character. It shows up in your skills. But the greatest way you can find that someone has grown up is their ability to reproduce. We think of a young man or a young lady that they've matured, they've passed puberty when they're able to reproduce. I'm not saying they're ready for marriage. They're ready to, they're able to reproduce. And the mark of maturity in the believer's life is when you can reproduce. Not just seeing souls saved, though that's a biggie, but reproduce character in others. When you teach others, you don't want to condescend to them. We're not in the military. You don't bark orders. God's people are sheep. You yell at sheep, you know what happens? Scatters them. You lead them. I was 10 years old when I led my first soul to Christ. You know how I learned? Not taking a class. By watching my dad. I, I, I didn't go to Bible college to learn how to preach, which is very evident, I know. But you know why I learned to preach? Watching my dad. We generally learn by watching from others. We do need instruction, but we learn an awful lot by watching others. And the church is so vitally important because it helps you and me to mature, to be like Jesus Christ, so that we can reproduce godly skills and godly character and certainly lead others to the saving knowledge of Jesus Christ. Hebrews says, for when for the time ye ought to be teachers, you have need that one teach you again, which be the first principles of the oracles of God, and are become such as have need of milk and not of strong meat. God is simply saying, you shouldn't have to be taught basics your entire Christian life. God help us to mature. You say, well, I'll never be a man that'll stand in the pulpit. We heard a tremendous message this morning in the men's prayer time. And the man got up and the first thing that he said, I don't know him, I'm not being, I'm not, I'm, he just was very blunt and direct to the point. 
I don't consider myself a teacher. I just want to give a testimony. Well, he can call it what he wants, but he taught us. And quite frankly, he preached to us. You know why? Anytime you deliver the word, it, it preaches to us. It motivates us to do something for God. And it was a blessing. I remember a man that I led to Christ. And I mean, he's a workaholic. He gets up early, works. I mean, he's a working machine. And he told me, preacher, don't ever ask me to pray in public. I can't tell you how many things he told me not to ask him to do. Don't ever ask me to teach a Sunday school class. Now as he taught Sunday school classes, he's taught the ladies class. And they love hearing him teach. And here's a guy that didn't want to ever stand up in front of people. I'm just saying when you take baby steps and start teaching, teach your kids, teach a friend, you don't have to have notes, you don't have to have a lectern per se, you're just explaining to them facts that you've learned. That's what teaching is about. Some of you will teach a friend how to get through a problem at work, that's teaching. Some of you are going to teach your children how you learned and And that's a great way to teach children, especially teenagers. Give them stories that they can see how God worked in your life. That's all we're trying to do is reproduce a godly character in others. Well, I love this church. I hope you do too. And I hope you'll be a part of this church and let God mature you to where every single one of you can be teachers. So how can I get started? How do I get a kickstart? Well, if you're not involved in any small groups in this church, I'd say if you weren't in Sunday school today, try it next week. If you're a teenager up through an adult, they have an incredible Sunday school teacher that you will absolutely love next Sunday. You ought to be there next Sunday. How many were not in Sunday school this morning, but you'd consider coming next week as well? Any, can I recruit anybody? You weren't all here in Sunday school. Come on now. I'm, can I get at least one or two? Okay, I got one, two, be here, three. They'll be here in Sunday school next week as well, not instead of church, but as well in Sunday school. I got three. Okay, okay, church, I got three visitors. Now it's your turn. You go find some visitors. Hallelujah. Get involved in a small group, join the choir. You say, well, I can't sing. If you join the choir, you're going to find out there's others up there that can't sing either. (laughs) These are expensive microphones. They only pick up the voices that can sing. (laughs) But if you get up there and sing and make a joyful noise unto the Lord, it will bless God. We're singing to God. But you're going to make friends and develop relationships in small groups, get involved in the ministries, teach a Sunday school class, get involved in the children's ministry or teens ministry, or get involved in the church. Just don't be a Sunday morning pew warmer. That's what the church is about. It's to help bring out the best in you. And you know what that best is? Jesus. He's in you if you're saved. You get in a small group in church. We're going to help bring him to life in a practical way in your life. I love church. It helps me to 
live a happy life in obedience to God. It helps me to center my life around God in worship. It helps me to connect to God's kids through fellowship. And it helps me grow to maturity in discipleship. I love church. Today, we're going to have a time of invitation. It's a time where we would invite you. Maybe God has spoken to you about a certain area in your Christian life. Maybe it had nothing to do with the sermon. God is really good at that. And we'd invite you just to come and pray, do business with God. Some of you haven't thanked God in a long time for all the blessings that he has given you. If all we did was praise God, it would not be a waste of time. There's likely some here today that sadly are one heartbeat from hell. Meaning if you died right now, you'd spend eternity in the regions of the damned. God wants to save you this morning. He saved a couple here last week. God loves you. He, he's not willing that any should perish, but that all should come to repentance. He wants to save everybody. You say, well, why doesn't he? He allows you to receive him. He's not going to force himself on you. There might be some here today and you want to be baptized. You want to be added to the church. And if you'd come this morning, someone will counsel you about that next step in your Christian life. But before we run out of here this afternoon, let's do business with God. Let's talk to him. Rehearse a little bit how he's talked to us. And what we're going to do about that. Not be a hearer only, but a doer of the word.